Hey folks, welcome to Hey Adora. I'm Force Captain Neff, they, them. And I'm Princess Jenny, she, her. And we are here to discuss the third episode of the first season of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Rads. Or Booby Yoda shows up and goes berry picking. Yes! Oh my god, Booby Yoda. That is so apt. Raz was written by Noelle Stevenson with the story by James Krieg and Noelle Stevenson, storyboarded by Diane Hu, Angela Kim, and Joseph Scott, and directed by Stephanie Stein. So this is the third part of the, essentially the pilot movie, right? Like, Yes, I would say that. So all three of these first episodes that we're calling the pilot movie, they were all written by Noelle, right? Yes, they were. Noelle motherfucking Stevenson. Yes. Bad out. Yes. And so we we have always said that these three episodes together are actually the pilot. I mean, it's 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 framed like a film. Yes. And what call to adventure would be complete without wandering confused and chaotically into the woods? This is part of the hero quest, right? This is part of the hero quest. The stumbling chaotically through the woods not having any idea what the shit is going on or what you're supposed to do until some possibly batty, possibly cagey, definitely wise old person guides you in some various cryptic ways back to your path. This is where we meet the three guardians of the threshold for Katra and Adora. And we're going to talk about the differences between Ooh. the three guardians of the threshold for both of them, as once again, they have parallel stories in this episode. Oh, they so do. It's not subtle. It's like a sledgehammer of a sledgehammer of metaphor. Yep. First scene is Welcome to Bright Moon. This is the same day. Yeah, it is the same day chronologically. It's been a long day for these three. Oh my god. It's been a long day for everybody. So the best friend squad is finally headed back to Bright Moon. Glimmer's riding the horse because she is done. Yeah, she's toast. And uh, of course now is when Bo and Glimmer tell Adora, Welcome to Bright Moon. And Adora is just gaping at the beauty of this bisexual heaven. I legit have in my notes, welcome to bisexual Bright Moon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything is so, I mean, first of all, it's very female coded, obviously. Yeah, exactly. This is a beautiful, tranquil, harmonious place. And there's this, again, this is more about female coding, not specifically bisexual coding, there's this giant, I wrote in my notes, giant pulsing pearly egg of life in all caps. That's the moonstone. <laughs> yep. Yep. I did want to say, and I don't know if you mentioned it, that Bright Moon is surrounded by water. So that's another... Yes. Oh, and the moonstone itself is at the top of a giant waterfall. Yep. So there's, you know, we, once again, we work with the motif of the moon, the water, the feminine, yes. the soft, the curved, the emotional. You know, once we go to, to, we go to Glimmer, we jump to Glimmer, who's the emotional. So... Very much yep, that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of combination of uh, tropes and symbols. Also, um, this is still just while they're first having their first glance mm -hmm. of Bright Moon. Well, Adora is having her first glimpse of Bright Moon. I don't want to get too deep into every little detail of how it looks, but the castle architecture is something that also caught my eye from the beginning because it doesn't look like any castle architecture I've ever seen in real life. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. No. You know, it's got all these lofty peaks and rounded domes. You know, it's very pretty. Not necessarily super practical. It's so curvy and ladylike. It's very curvy. And also, um, the central the central castle part that is like where the Queen and Glimmer live that has a spire at the top that 
exactly matches Shira's tiara. Oh. It has the wings at the top. There's big wings at the bottom, but it has little wings at the top that match her tiara. And it has the little ruby in the center that she has just sort of like, when it's on her tiara, you'll know it's not even really part of the tiara. It's just sort of like floating in her hair. But, you know, it's there. Oh, I didn't notice that. So that relates back to her. Yeah. Shit, yeah. All right. Yeah, fuck yeah. And the Bright Moon Castle also reminds me a bit of the castle from The NeverEnding Story. I can see that. AKA the Ivory Tower, which is also a lady castle. It is a lady castle. That mm-hmm. is true. Run by an, an empress. A childlike empress. A baby empress, but still. So that's that's Adora's first taking in moment of Bright Moon. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. And uh, Glimmer suggests that maybe Bo should take Adora in the back way. Adora's up for it. What's the back way? It's a cliff. Not as welcoming as she had hoped. Okay, so Bo says they totally come in this way all the time, but they don't because Glimmer can fucking teleport. They don't come in the way that she has to come in. No, no. I thought it was cute that he was like, no, no, it's fine. We do this all the time. And it's like, sweet baby Bo, I get it. You know, and it's more like, well, we do this. You can wear this robe for no reason. Yeah, and the second they're in the door, it's still just the two of them in the room. Put this on. No reason. It's fine. What? No, we're cool. We'll be fine. And then there's credits. We're back to Bright Moon Exterior. Glimmer gets off the horse. Queen Angela's there now to immediately berate her. Oh, hi, Angela. Can I talk about Queen Angela for a minute? Please, please. So Queen Angela, uh, as we can see, Queen Angela is an immortal angel um, and is drawn in a very particular style. The design of Queen Angela is reminiscent of 70s and 80s anime styles, specifically the work of uh, Leiji Masumoto, uh, who would be known in, you know, American anime circles as the uh, director and creator of Space Battle Yamoto, which is repurposed in America as Star Blazers. Uh, and the Daft Punk musical anime extravaganza Interstellar 5555, the story of the secret star system, which if you have not seen that, it's nerdy. I have not seen that. It's the Daft Punk album Discovery set to an anime. So it's like an anime rock opera type of thing. That sounds pretty cool. So the style is very distinct. Um, the long neck, the oval face, the almond eyes, very lithe type of characters. You know, the, the, there's a lot of length to these characters. And you can see that in Angela. This is interesting because the rest of the characters in the show are very reminiscent of more contemporary animes, um, you know, 80s and 90s, you know, late 80s, 90s and 2000s animes. Um, so it's almost like we're seeing the previous generation raising the next generation of yeah, uh, yeah. characters. So. That is that is very cool. I did not know that at all. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So we have Angela, and she's uh, pissed, but she's pissed in that way where you know her daughter kind of just disappeared. Yeah, she's pissed because she was worried. Yeah, exactly. And then Glimmer just passes out, and then yep. of course immediately anger is put to the side. Good thing Mama's got wings. Yep. She catches her. She flies her right up to the moonstone. Where Glimmer recharges because she has to recharge. Gay smirk. (laughs) Yes, that was our first gay smirk. Yeah. She has to recharge. 
And of course, mom is sitting there waiting when she opens her eyes. Mm-hmm. Because again, like, I mean, we all know this. This is not rocket science. The core difference between Shadow Weaver and Angela is Shadow Weaver gets mad when her wards don't do exactly what she wanted them to do. Angela gets mad when she thinks her daughter didn't do what she was supposed to do and it put her in danger. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say this is the first time we see a good mom on the show. Exactly. Well, we see, you know, we see Angela in the first episode, but this is her really doing the like momming the whole good mom thing yeah the taking care of thing so glimmer wakes up she doesn't really have ears to hear the lecture that you didn't even bother to charge up before you left she's super super excited to tell her mom about this awesomely fantastic amazing thing that she can't tell her about yet Yes, this thing that she found. Not a person, but she found some tech. She found something. She found a super powerful first one's tech in the woods. Not a Dora. Not a human. Yeah. She totally depersonalizes it. She's kind of like, this is a thing. This is the, you know, this is kind of another, We found something. We found something. Not someone. Yeah, Yeah, which makes sense if you're trying to, like, surprise somebody. But it also is kind of another, um, another notch in the depersonalization camp. So I didn't think about it that way. That is true. I just thought it was really funny that she's bursting at the seams. She's like, Mom, I have this amazing thing to show you. It's so incredible. You're going to love it. What is it? Oh, I can't tell you yet. But I can't tell you. Yeah, that's very, again, like, whether or not she is actually physically the youngest, this is her her young teen behavior, where, you know, she clearly doesn't think things all the way through. She's not being strategic about this at all. Yep. Well, she, like I said, once once again, she hasn't had to grow up. No, she hasn't. Um, There are particular things that, you know, she has had to deal with. I mean, she's dealt with grief. She's dealt with loss. She's dealt with war. She's a commander. But we see that that doesn't really... She was a commander for like three hot seconds. Yeah, but also we see that that doesn't really mean anything yet. But, you know, in terms of all of, you know, in terms of all of those things, she's still very young and, you know, hasn't had to, hasn't had the rude awakening or being raised as a literal, you know, soldier that Adora has. She hasn't had to make adult decisions yet. Exactly. Whereas uh, Dora literally just had to be like, well, am I going to run away because of this, you know, moral quandary or? Yes, yes, yes. That's a pretty adult ass decision that Adora had to make. Of course it is. So while Glimmer is not making adult decisions, Bo is in no way anxious while keeping Adora company in Glimmer's room. Not at all. No, Bo's chill. Very chill. And can I tell you a fun fact now? Please. So I'm sure you also noticed this, and probably many people at home have noticed this. There are several Easter eggs hidden in this episode of little nods to characters from the original that did not make it into the reboot. But, you know, they're just little nods. They're not anything significant. So the first one is in this next scene when Bo and Adora are in Glimmer's room. Mm-hmm. And Adora is cottoning on to the fact that her reception is not going to be as warm as Bo and Glimmer led her to believe it might be. It might be more like pitchforks and torches. And there's a cute little stuffed animal sitting next to her yep. on the window seat. And it looks like it looks like a koala and an owl combined with the giant ears that are kind of like wings. Yep. Giant rainbow ears. Yeah. Giant rainbow ears. So that little guy is named Cowl. Yep. From the original. He's I had to look this up because I looked at him and I was like, I recognize you. I know you were from the original, but I couldn't remember. Like, we were so little when we saw this shit. Yeah, we were. I don't remember most of it because it's not like you got to see it over and over. Right. It's not like a movie that you could rent. Right. So I, I barely remember anything. So I did look it up. His name is Cowl, and I would love to read you this very short description of his character. Please do. Because I think it makes sense why there was no room for this character 
in, in the reboot. By the way, this is from the fandom wiki, obviously. Cowl is something of an acerbic, sarcastic character who is a constant companion to the members of the Great Rebellion. Cowl tends to serve as comic relief as he is often cracking jokes and making slightly rude, piercing observations about the events unfolding around him. So it's Mermista? Kind of, but not completely, because, like, Mermista doesn't really make jokes. She's just always trying to let everyone know how detached she is from everything and how uninvested she is. Right. She's very funny. Yeah. But she's not this guy. This guy is kind of like an Eeyore, a curmudgeonly Eeyore kind of character. I gotcha. And there really isn't room for a character like that in this show. No, there isn't. Somebody who's dragging everybody down all the time, even in a comedic way. Um, Oh, and one other thing that was interesting. He is one of only four people in the OG who know that Adora is She-Ra. Right, yeah. And I didn't even remember that her identity was secret in the original. yeah. That was the big thing that uh, the big change in this is that everyone's just yeah. like, nah, yeah. Adora Shira, it's fine. Sure. I mean, why not? Like, what's the point of all the secrecy? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the other three people who know Adora's identity are Light Hope, Madame Raz, and another character who we will get a glimpse of, another little Easter egg later named Luki. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we have our little Easter egg. We have Bo just being like, yeah, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. But there might be pitchforks and torches. But still, everyone's going to love you. There's just, you know, there might have been a little bit of static between the Horde and and Bright Moon. But, you know, NBD, they're still going to love you. You're great. They're going to love you once they get to know you. Yes. Just Um, like Glimmer and I. They're going to trust you. Yes. Just like Glimmer and I already... And before he gets to get to the end of that sentence, yep. there's a little freak out. Yep. Glimmer pops up and, you know, Bamps in there and is like, uh, my mom's on her way, so we got to do something. Yeah, but nobody panic. No, it's fine. It's fine. I you- said nobody panic. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's all fine. It's going to be fine. Calm the fuck down. I said it's going to be fine when she's like the only one talking still. Yep. All you got to do is transform into Shira in the next three minutes. No big deal. Because uh, I don't think my mom's going to go for, hey, mom, we found a horde soldier. Can we keep her? I do like that line, though. (laughs) It's a very funny line. But, you know, this is one. I'll give you one point for uh, Glimmer being driven by ego a little bit here is that she really isn't hearing or respecting Adora. Yep. When Adora is saying, like, she doesn't. First of all, she doesn't yet know how right. to just turn on Shira. Well, she's only done it when someone was in danger and exactly. it felt a little out of control. Right. And this is one we're going to go back of what is the honor of Grayskull? Because oh. she can only transfer when she is when she is calling upon the sword of protection to transform her into the champion of what the honor of Grayskull is. And that's kind of the undercurrent of uh, learning about her transformation throughout this episode. So we'll, um, we'll get to that. We're going to learn what the honor of Grayskull is as we move through this episode. But right now, Adora doesn't know it. Right. All she knows is that the last time it happened, people were in danger and she can't just turn on She-Ra. Right. It just happened when it had to happen. Exactly. And that's all she knows. And I was thinking again that this is a big Avatar parallel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this time, yeah, Avatar the Last Airbender, not Korra, because Aang was the one who was untrained. Shit went crazy when he was a small child. He wasn't supposed to have to learn that way. He really didn't have any guidance Mm -hmm. when he was becoming the Avatar. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he didn't know how to go into the Avatar state on purpose either. Right. For a long time. And it was scary and out of control because this is a big damn power. 
It's not something you just turn on and off like a light switch at will. The parallels are here. You know, 100 years, Aang was stuck in the ice and didn't have training um, versus a thousand years of there being a She-Ra. So, you know, once again, a huge, a huge uh, Avatar parallel here. Right, right. So they both had gaps where there isn't anyone around who is there to guide them in the way there was supposed to be in the past, someone to guide them. Yep. But, you know, Glimmer Glimmer isn't taking any of this seriously. No. Sword! Magic words! Shira. Shira thoughts. And then she says, I believe in you. Right. And that really activates Adora's sense of obligation. Yep, exactly. And Very uh, deeply. She, she looks at herself, she takes the sword, and she looks at her reflection in it, and she sighs. She's like, okay, come on, sword, it's just you and me. Let's do this! I can do it, and she... She can't do it. She's just a giant fucking dork, and she just, like... Well... She trips, she falls, it's unwieldy, she knocks shit over, she catches it. She does catch the shit. She catches all of the shit, but she's just a giant fucking dork. I was thinking more specifically, more than just being a giant fucking dork, which she also is... She's also a total outdoor lesbian dumb jock. I was thinking the same thing. Oh, yeah. Of course you were. Because she is. Of course you were. She's a clumsy outdoor jock dyke. Totally. And, you know, what says that more than her hearing a fucking horse and being a fucking dork dyke horse girl? She looks outside. This would be way better with horsey. Yep. So this is the first nomination for gayest moment, the we all know that we all know moment. Adora is clearly an outdoor lesbian. Yes, an outdoor horse uh, horse girl lesbian. Yes, yes. Yeah, she puts on her uh, her cloak and she goes outside and... Yes, her super effective disguise cloak. Totally, and is automatically feeling better. Yes, She's got horsey. She's got room to move. She can feel the ground beneath her feet. She's ready to get in touch with the nature of bright moon. Fresh air. Fresh air. What else do you need? Camping. She's confident now. Yes, she has confidence because she's outside and... She's in her element. Yeah. She's in the outdoors where outdoor lesbians belong. Exactly. (laughs) She's confident. So, you know, she takes, she sees horsey. She's like, all right, horsey, ready to see something cool? She does the thing. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Horsey's not impressed. She does the thing again. Again, nothing happens. She tries with so many different intonations and body movements. She is 100% putting forth her best effort. And it's still not working. And then she goes to Glimmer is counting on me. Mm-hmm. She says it to the sword. Yep. Essentially, I need to be able to do this. People are counting on me. Mm-hmm. She's already feeling the pressure that she's putting on herself. Of course of having to be everything for everyone. I mean, yes. I mean, in the many savior ways. of the universe. And yes, me. yes. Well, I don't know if she even has that in her mind yet. Fair. But in this moment, she has a scaled down version of that, which is that like she's here to help the rebellion and she can't help the rebellion if they won't trust her. And the only way they're going to trust her is if they see her as Shira. Yep. And so she finally gets something going. Yeah, she gets some magic exploding out of the shiny magical sword clit uh-huh and and it and it turns horsey into a motherfucking pegacorn it's a pegacorn by the way it is a flying unicorn is that a real word it is now 
I think it is an actual word. Um, I because def- it sounds like a unicorn. It's like being pegged or a pegging unicorn. It sounds like a dirty, dirty unicorn. It could be a unicorn top. You never. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, definitely not. But so now our newly born pegacorn that has not yet been named has the exact same reaction that Adora had. Oh my god, I have only that too. Exponentially more so. Yep. Yeah, yep. I have that too. They they can't control themselves. They have no idea what's going on. They, they freak the fuck out. Freak the fuck out. Only it's a horse, so it's big and scary. And it has wings. And so it loses its shit. And I, my note here says that we get to see that we, I wrote Pegasus Unicorn. I'm going to change it now to Pegacorn. We get to see this magnificent rainbow Pegacorn flop around like a drunken idiot crossed with a fish out of water. Yeah, no, that that's, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's, it's super like, like top level ridiculousness. Oh yeah, totally. And of course he has to stagger into a residential area. And of course, Adora has to follow him. Mm-hmm. And the Bright Moon does not have an animal control. So they just have villagers. Nope, nope. So Adora's got to take care of it. She's got to handle this shit. She yep. created this and now she's got to handle it. She's got to fix it. And of course, big wings make big wind. And when you're wearing a cloak, uh, it doesn't really hold up with big no, wings. No, it doesn't. She is outed as a Horde soldier. Oh no! Confusion and hijinks! Ugh, wacky confusion and wacky hijinks ensue, and by that we mean soldiers chase after her. Well, I mean, in all fairness. No, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, of course. Oh, it makes sense. I mean, you know, horde soldier or horde soldier, and she's like, no, 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 I'm not with the horde. Listen, and they're like, I'm yeah, right. I'm not here to fight you, as she swings her giant sword. Yep. Fair. This is a clear clear case of uh, major miscommunication. Yep. So she is defending herself as Dora, not as She-Ra. And we see as she's defending herself. Because she's not being, she's not on the offensive, she's on the defensive. Of course. Arrows are being shot at her. You know, she shows her strength and training her literal physical strength and also her training as a fighter without the sword. And she's confident in her movements. This is when we see Adora's confidence come through. She's confident in the way her body knows how to defend and how to fight as a soldier. Mm -hmm. But she's not really fighting. She's just trying to run away without hurting anybody. But exactly. But that's still that's still a really particular that's a skill. Yeah, of course. That's part of her soldier training. But I wouldn't quite call it fighting. She's a straight up badass, though. Like Adora is a straight up fucking badass. And we see more of Adora being a straight up fucking badass than She-Ra at this point. Absolutely. I mean, we've barely seen She-Ra. True. Still, but but when we've seen Shira, she's been like, whoa! Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, she's not, I can't even call Shira a badass yet because she's just like transfixed in this otherworldly yeah. energy. That's not badass. That's like this elevated state of being. She's like channeling, you know, this energy that is like using her body as a conduit. Yes. So that's not quite badass. That's something else. Adora is badass. Is badass. She's badass. She's confident when she's in her body and she knows how to move her body in the way that it's trained. She, she's fucking badass. So. Amen. Preach. <laughs> but so now Glimmer is super excited. Walk in her mom down the hall to the surprise. So excited. Yep. And uh, Angela mentions how much she likes that boy. Oh, we all love sweet baby Bo. Get in line, Queen Angela. But unfortunately, there is a problem with the surprise. Yup. We find that out just as the Bright Moon General comes rushing in to tell Queen Angela 
that there is a horrid soldier loose on the grounds. Uh, with the help of a winged beast. Beast, yes, yes. Because we didn't need this to be more dramatic, she, a, a winged beast. Yes. Angela's like, holy shit, what did what you do? What did you do? And there does come a certain point, I think this is probably true for most moms. I can't say all moms. Like, mm-hmm. my mom never had this zone, but I think most moms have this zone where they're so pissed they don't hear anything you have to say. Oh, yeah. They're just like, no, you don't talk now. Yeah. No, 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 you don't. I talk now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then we go to the Fright Zone. Yes, we do. What's (sighs) happening in the Fright Zone, Meth? Oh, Lonnie. Lonnie is happening in the Fright Zone. Lonnie's happening. We are a pro-Lonnie podcast. (sighs) We are such a pro-Lonnie podcast. It's It's not uh, a joke. No, it's no joke. Um, And Lonnie is telling the story of the new princess. You know, she's... 12 feet tall. She wiped the floor with their whole squadron. Took out all the machines with nothing but a sword. And as Lonnie is telling the story, we kind of uh, pan up and Katra is sitting in the shadows licking her wounds. She's so butthurt. She is a mess. Also, tiny detail, Rahelio is bandaging Kyle's wrist. Because of course he is. They're so lovely. I love you them know, so much. Leave no Kyle behind. I love the Horde kids. I know. I mean, it's impossible not to. It's not their fault. They're so sweet. But we have Katra sitting, like, curled up in a ball. Yes. Sweet baby Katra, we love you. You're fucking miserable. And this is another cat-like position, but this is like a defensive cat position rather than a predatory cat position, which we're much more used to seeing her in. Yep, because now we see, now we're on the long journey of Catra being the most miserable human on Etheria. Excuse me, the most miserable cat girl on Etheria. (laughs) Oh, so sad. I know. So she then kind of comes back to Lonnie with whatever. She's not that great. Well... There's a catalyst to that. Someone asks Lonnie, did you see her? And Lonnie says that she never saw the new princess and it's a good thing too. They were lucky to even get out alive. Yep. And that's when Katra jumps in and she's like, oh, please. Yeah. She's not so tough. I've got her number. Lonnie's like, yeah, okay. What is that? And Katra's like, like I tell you, because she's downplaying it because she's protecting Adora. She is protecting Adora, but I also think she's protecting herself in that moment because, again, this is, you know, to your point, um, Katra is the most emotionally intelligent one, certainly in the Horde. I mean, we know oh, that yeah. Bo is also very emotionally intelligent, so we don't have to pit them against each other necessarily. Right. But, you know, Lonnie is goading Katra. Catcher saying, oh, she's not so tough. I could take her down anytime I want. I know her secret. And Lonnie's like, oh, yeah, what's that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's got two new appropriately hot queer cronies backing yep. her up now. They weren't there before, but now that a door's gone, we need some new queers, fresh blood. Yeah, we need some new fresh queers in there. Yeah. So, But, you know, now Lonnie's the one who's got the hot gay cronies. Oh, yeah. With, like, the shaggy so, hair, the tall yeah, one with the shaggy yeah. hair. And the yeah, piercings. And, and the, the piercings. piercings also. Yeah, totally. But so now Katra, you know, she's been goaded. She's pissed. She wants to snap back. Mm-hmm. But she is aware of the fact that, first of all, she does not have the upper hand in this situation. Yep. And second of all, if she does tip her hand, she is going to be, you know, beat up, fucked up, what have you. Right. In addition to the fact that she would be putting Adora at risk. Easy, Katra. Adora's not here to protect you anymore. That's right. So she's really protecting both of their best interests. Oh, sweet baby Katra. I know. Oh, and I tell you what, so when uh, Katra and Lonnie are all up in each other's faces in that moment, 
fists are raised, they're snarling at each other. And I'm sure you would agree that that's not not hot. Uh, no, that's super hot. So that could definitely be gayest moment nomination number two. We all know that we all know gay locker room alpha queer confrontations are hot. Ugh, yeah, I so I totally ship them. Absolutely. I super ship them. That's hot. That is some gay wrestling right there. I mean, I don't even need to ship them necessarily. It's just that, like, Lonnie is hot yeah. in any confrontational situation. <laughs> it's true. She's so stocky, and they draw her so, like, muscly. And I know. She's got the best muscles. She does have the best muscles. I mean, she's not necessarily the most muscular, certainly of all the characters that we are going to meet, but she's just perfect. She is. We should probably move <laughs> from talking about Lonnie we will always there will there will be more Lonnie well whenever Lonnie's on screen we're gonna talk about her oh yeah obviously obviously and now we're gonna head on back to the forbidden forest where Adora has fled to she has stumbled into the forest she's panting she's jumping over trees she's berating herself for being stupid and going out there even after Bo warned her about the pitchforks and the torches yep and the sword is awake again Yep. You can tell because the clit is glowing. Yep. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Adora is not in the mood. She's like, oh, now? Now you want to do something? Sword? Right? She's just had enough. Yeah, she's she's had enough. Yeah. And she says, what is wrong with you? And it's not really clear. Is she talking to herself or is she talking to the sword? Mm-hmm. She's had she's had a day. It's been a long day for these guys. Yeah, Adora's having a long ass fucking day. Like she's just like, okay, so I didn't even get to like take a shower when I got back. I, just... I defected from the only life I've ever known. Yeah, I was supposed to come here and chill. Instead, I had to, I got chased by pitchforks. I fell down a fucking cliff, and now I'm in the woods and I'm lost. And I'm I'm a superhero, I no but I can't activate it. What the fuck? I think it might be time. To meet Bubby Yoda. Oh, Bubby Yoda! So before we even get into the details of like, okay, what's going to happen now with Raz? Do you want to talk for a second about just like, who is Raz? I super want to talk for a second about who is Raz. I have a lot of seconds to talk about who is Raz. I bet you do. So Raz is Bubby Yoda. So, you know, yes, we're joking about that. But uh, once again- Bubby means grandma for anyone who doesn't speak Yiddish. Yep. So she's Grandma Yoda. Um, You know, and we're going to keep bringing it up over and over again, but it is well known that much of this uh, of the series is influenced very, very heavily by Star Wars. And she is absolutely 100% modeled on Yoda. But instead of, you know, instead of having absolutely no regard for uh, linguistic syntax, she has no, absolutely no regard for linear time. Yes. <laughs> so. Which is, you know, interesting. Yes, it is. And it's is. not that she has no regard for it. It's just that she doesn't experience linear time. She doesn't exist in linear time. She is unstuck in time, mm-hmm. which kind of, you know, which goes through what kind of archetype she is. So she is the, she's the wise woman of the woods. She's the woods mm-hmm. crone. Um, she's also, TV Tropes calls what she does as the eccentric mentor. Mm. So the eccentric mentor that, is not. That fits. Yeah. It's usually like a mystical or a magical mentor. It's one that doesn't lead by uh, example. They, they, they work in riddles. T- learning the lesson by extremely unorthodox ways. Dumbledore, for example, is uh, a really popular um, 
uh, example of the eccentric mentor. Um, Merlin in The Sword and the Stone, uh, King Boomy in Avatar. But those guys all really seem to have very specific plans. And Raz, you know, she is like the living magic of Etheria embodied. And yes. she's, you know, hella old because she was already, she looked exactly the same a thousand years ago as she looks now. Yes. But I don't know if she has such a clear plan in her mind. It's just everything works out. Because she has this wisdom that's so innate, she doesn't always even know she has it, you know? I don't think she has such a clear plan as Dumbledore or King Boomy. No, but there's there's definitely that she's I mean, the way that she teaches is that. She is the she is chaos. She's the chaos of magic. She's the chaos of nature. Yes. You know, she she lives in she lives with nature. She lives in the roots of an old tree. She's surrounded by butterflies. She doesn't practice magic, Raz is magic. She also reminds me a little bit of um, Agra of Thra from The Dark Crystal. Oh, yeah. Any OG Dark Crystal fans. And even though Agra is scary and Raz is not scary, but they are both, you know, like the living magic of the planet that they that they represent. Yep. And I feel like even though we're never clearly told what is the origin of Raz, Mm -hmm. you know, like she has all this knowledge and experience She's, it seems like she's been around for all of time. Right. So, you know, if she's the living embodiment of the magic of Etheria, it's like she kind of is Etheria. Exactly. She's going to live as long as the planet lives. And we see a lot more of Raz moving forward um, when we start talking about what the living magic of Etheria is, specifically. Um, Want to sidebar here that the voice of Raz, uh, her name is uh, Grey Delise, and she is also the voice of. Actually, her 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 credit in the IMDb page is listed as Grey Griffin. Grey Griffin. So she is also listed as Grey Griffin. She has a cu- she uses a couple of different names, but it is Grey Delise, Grey Griffin. She has a couple of other ones that you can look up. They're listed in her Wikipedia. Um, she is the voice of Azula from Avatar. Yeah. Wrap your mind around that for two seconds, though. Yeah. Just pause. You don't need to hear about how she's the voice of the villager and this and that. Just take that in. And she's also Daphne on Scooby-Doo. She's Betty Rubble. And these are the newer versions, obviously. And she is the new voice of Ralph Wiggum. I don't know who that is. From The Simpsons. Ah. So these voices are all very different voices. Mm -hmm. Um, She's kind of, she's a voiceover superstar. She's a, you know, her credits are bonkers she is and i would love to stick in the show notes if you would permit me uh the link to the tiktok video she made where she got into full azula costume to read trump's unraveling tweets after the election oh oh my god there's yes absolutely they are hilarious it's so funny i sent it to my dad my dad and stepmom are huge avatar fans Uh and my dad is like really low tech he doesn't he doesn't go on social media but i sent him this one video and for weeks afterwards, my stepmom would message me being like, I can hear your dad laughing in the next room and he's listening to Azula read the Trump tweets. It's so good. So Raz is rich with character. Raz is also the threshold guardian. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned earlier in the, the episode that we have three separate threshold guardians that are being um, that are being represented. The first one we had was Angela. So Angela is the one that takes Adora from the Horde into the Rebellion. Raz is the threshold guardian that takes Adora from Adora to She-Ra. Mm. And Shadow Weaver is the threshold guardian for Katra because she takes Katra from being the cadet 
to a force captain. Do you not think it's Hordak who does that? No, because Shadow Weaver doesn't want Catra to be a force captain. It doesn't matter whether she wants it or not. The function of her is to literally bring her to the destiny. Okay, that's fair. She does bring her there. She brings her to her destiny. Yes, that is true. She physically throws her in front of her destiny. She does. She does. Which, you know, once again, we'll circle up on that. But that's what the Threshold Guardian does. I don't want to say they're exactly a psychopomp, but they have the same function as a psychopomp. So a psychopomp is the archetype of a creature, a person um, that takes a person or a soul or whatever from the living into the dead. So uh, Chiron is a psychopomp. Guardian archetypes are often psychopomps. Um, so the threshold guardian can be a psychopomp, but in this case... I have never heard that word, but it's pretty cool. It's a fucking awesome concept. In this case, we have these, these three guardians, um, all women, that take our uh, female characters from the known into the unknown. Word. So now we're getting to the point where we actually meet Raz. When we meet her, she is sweeping outdoors Mm -hmm. and talking to herself. But I personally, when I first saw her, I was pretty sure that she wasn't really talking to herself because she's like this crazy wise woman. But we just can't see who she's talking to. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Here comes Adora. Excuse me, good madam. Have you seen a flying horse around here? And Raz calls her Mara. Oh, Mara, dearie, you're finally here. Because they had a date to pick berries. And Adora's like, who the fuck is Mara? That's not me. Adora's pretty sure Raz is mistaking her for someone else because I don't know who you are. Yeah. Raz is like, no, you got the sword. This isn't, but hold on a second. And then Raz kind of gets, shakes up, gets unstuck in time, restuck in time. You're not the same. This was the wrong time for my Mara, but you have the sword. Right. And this is another tiny, tiny Easter egg, that little fan that she packs in her basket. That's Lukey's face. Yep. Lukey from the original. And also in the original, uh, the broom is actually sentient. Oh, yes. When she says she's never alone. She's got Broom. Broom is her best friend. And when she says she also has her friend Lukey, but he's always hiding. Yep. He is always hiding in the original. Yep. That tracks. So so those, I think that's the end of the Easter eggs. Yep. But so when Raz finally realizes, oh, no, you're different. It's the wrong time for my Mara, but now you've got the sword instead. Mm-hmm. So now Adora is interested. So guess it's time to go berry picking. I guess so. And she's like, no, you... Don't ask silly questions. You know, Adora's like, wait, what the hell? You know about this? What? What yes. is this? What can I do? She's like, no, 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 no. You're here all the time. You know this. Come on, let's go berry picking here. Yeah, Adora gets pretty frustrated. She wants straightforward answers in a linear way. Raz is not a straightforward linear person. You're ne- never going to get that from Raz. And uh, she's like, yeah, let's go. This is the best place to pick berries. And it's a friggin' first one ruin. Yep. I have in my notes, there were points throughout this where this structure is referred to as the Crystal Castle. Yes. Even though I just keep calling it First One's Ruins. Yes. Yeah, I do believe that this is the Crystal Castle. The Crystal Castle. Yeah. Flying pretty fast and loose with the word castle. Yeah. (laughs) But it's fine. Anything can be a castle when you're in Etheria. It's true. It's like a Fortress of Solitude type of situation, you know. Yeah. So Raz, Raz literally hops up onto the side of this perfectly smooth building and starts climbing it like a pro. Yeah. All in the name of berry picking, because that's what this is all about, right? It's all about getting some fucking berries, man. So, of course, she's, you know, jumping up, she's picking berries, and then the structure begins to light up under her. Yes. Adora does not think this is advisable at all. No, she doesn't. She's practical. 
She's like, what is this old lady doing? What the hell? Raz is activating some kind of ancient light. You know, NBD, old ladies walking on shit, and then boom, magic. Yes. Happens. But then, kapow! Raz is blasted off the side. Adora jumps up and catches her, like you do Cause she's when still... you're a hero type. Yeah, she's strong as fuck. This is, I, I have in my notes here, Adora is strong as fuck. Like, she can spring up, you know, pick up, tuck, and roll, and save this old lady. Like, yeah, fucking Yeah, I mean, Superman. she's not just breaking her fall. She's, yeah. like, jumping up to save her. Yeah, and Raz is like, oh, ha, 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 do-do-do-do, what a tumble. And then, yeah. you know, the friggin' planetarium projector, you know, starts up, and we see stars. Yes. A whole holographic cosmos. Yep. You know, and then Pink Floyd starts playing. and then, no. <laughs> Yes. So this is a little bit confusing when you're seeing it for the first time. I wrote down exactly what Raz says. Yep. Is it okay if I read it? Please do. Yes. Okay. So Raz, they're looking up at the stars. They're totally awed. Raz says, the stars. We used to come here to look at the stars. Do you remember, Mara? They're all gone now. What happened to the stars? Which is a really good fucking question, because, like, is. you know, you can't just get rid of all the stars. Yeah, no, as much as you can try. And, you know, like, I admit when I was, again, when I was watching for the first time, it did not occur to me that they had just moved the whole planet into an empty dimension. Yeah, that's not really the first thing you think of. Where? What did happen to the stars, man? Yeah. What the shit? What the shit were their stars? How come they don't have horoscopes there? But... Adora, who is not Mara, does remember the stars. Yep. She's seen them before somehow. And this is something that I coined. I think I coined it today when I was thinking about this. So she knows all of this somehow. And I called this the knowledge of the pedigree. Okay, continue. So the knowledge of the pedigree is the innate knowledge that you have because of your mystical connection to a particular pedigree of things that you should not or do not know. Mm. You see this, once again, you see this in Avatar uh, with the past lives. Uh, You see it in Buffy the Vampire Slayer a lot, too, with the prophetic dreams of the Slayer line. That's fair. This is knowledge that you have because of what you are, the pedigree of what you are. That's interesting, because I thought that these images that she sees in a moment were just flashes of memory from when she was a baby before she got taken through the portal. It could be. Because once again, I'm the dork who wrote down what all these little flashes of images were. I knew you were going to say that. Do you want to hear what all the flashes of images were? You know I do. Okay. So we've got, real quick, we've got Light Hope. We've got Etheria from above swooping, swooping down. And that is in Despondos because there's no stars. And then we've got Bright Moon. And then we've got something that could maybe be a comet, a fiery something crashing in the desert. Then we've got the Crystal Castle in full glory with stars. So not in Despondos. Then we've got a swirling purple portal. And then we've got a view through a round window onto a rocky exterior with a view of a big planet right next door and a moon and a whole beautiful galaxy with the sounds of a baby laughing. And so that's why I was like, oh, so this is Adora, baby Adora looking out through her window on Eternia when, you know, before she got taken because there's all the stars. Mm -hmm. And so I just assumed that those were all images that she had this faint memory of when she was a baby being taken 
from Eternia to Etheria. See, I definitely get that. And I feel like it actually may be a conversation of them because the way that it's framed is, do you remember Mara? They're all gone. What happened to the stars? And this, you know, so that's where the conversation is. Raz, Raz calls her Mara. And then Adora says, I've seen them before. I know all of this somehow. And they are kind of flashing a couple of things that would be like, okay, there's a baby here in Light Hope. But like other things in there do line up with her having the knowledge of her past of you know ostensibly her past lives the pedigree in which she comes from i don't know i don't know if this is really set up as it being a past life scenario no, not 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 a past life scenario because i don't think we don't really get the fact we don't get like the impression that this is a past life because the shira is a mantle right Right, exactly. But, you know, it does fit into the the kind of working concept that I'm playing with right now that I'm calling the knowledge of the pedigree. Yes, it's perfectly legitimate. Let's keep that keep that in mind as we're going. And then so, you know, Adora has its onslaught of images. She's having these random memories that she can't place. She does remember the stars, that's for sure. And then she comes back to herself and Raz is just calmly staring at her eating berries. Yep, best. She's just like, "You done, bitch?" There's no, there's no getting Raz agitated. Nope. And Adora's like, wait a minute, you brought me here. There's a reason for this. And she's like, I'm just here to eat some berries. Your I basket's you empty. I brought to pick berries. Yeah. So once again, the whole, uh, you know, wacky mentor relying on the chaos of the situation to teach the lesson, not yeah. necessarily being, you know, being straightforward about it. So, yeah, so you better go pick some berries if you want to yep. get any more answers, because berry picking is goddamn well going to happen. It's goddamn well going to happen. <laughs> Raz grabs her, and they're going to pick some berries. And off they go. And meanwhile, here comes a truly heartbreaking scene. Oh, sweet I baby Catra. Sweet baby Catra. So now we're, we're moving over to the cadet bunks in the fright zone. Yep. And here comes Catra, casually walks over and throws herself down on her bed. Yep. Which is technically Adora's bed. It's their bed. But it's really their bed. But Catra has her own bed that we right. know she never uses. So this is their bed. Yep. So first she just, you know, she just plops down on it like a normal thing. Like, oh, I'm just going to plop down on my bed for a while. And then she looks at the pictures that they either drew of themselves or each other as wee little babies. And she freaks the fuck she out. She finally has her nobody's looking feels. Yep. So um, the transcript that I, I, I'm working with here is Catra grunts and slashes the drawing, sobbing quietly. Then looks down at her pillow before shouting and crying hysterically, tearing the pillow to shreds. That just about sums it up. Catra is destroying their bed. Mm-hmm. Catra is, you know, burning the bed that they built together. She it's so is, sad. It's so sad. And, you know, she's destroying the pictures of the two of them that are carved in next to the bed. This is the equivalent of somebody, you know, like dropping a match to, you know, after the divorce, dropping a match yeah. to the bed and yeah. then ripping up all the pictures. But it's funny, um, your transcript didn't mention there really is a very singular moment. She slashes the drawing with her yep. claws, and then yep. she has a moment where she just gasps and looks at it. She's like, oh my god, what did I do? It makes it real. Yeah. Yeah. Because she just, you know, ruined it indelibly. There's no fixing it. Yep. And then she's crying. This is so fucking gay. It's so fucking gay. Sweet baby Catra is so heartbroken. I think this is my nomination for the gayest moment. Yes, absolutely. We all know that we all know that we know. 
Yes. This is clearly the winning moment. Like, we don't even have to bring up any more gay moments. It's this. But we will. We will. But this is the winner. Yeah, no, this is the winner. Yeah, everybody knows this is the winner. You don't just show up and destroy your best friend's bed. No. Because they got a new job. Your best friend's bed with you. Yeah, exactly. Your shared bed. Your shared bed. Sobbing. Gay ass shit. When else have we seen Catcher cry? Yeah, sweet baby Catra. We love you. That's very sad. But she can't even have, I mean, she had one moment. Yeah, but that's all she gets. She had one fucking moment alone with her feelings. Yep. But then immediately, here comes Shadow Weaver finding time to give her some quality negative attention. Yeah, because, you know, what's what's Shadow Weaver best at? Being horrible to Catra. Quality negative attention. Quality negative attention. And the way Shadow Weaver touches her face while berating her is so creepy and so demeaning. It's so fucking demeaning. I just wanted to smack her. No, it shows it's her control. So like, so holding somebody's face is extremely intimate, is an extremely intimate touch. And the way that she does it is tenderly. She doesn't like grab it. She moves in and tenderly does it, but then holds it. And it's very, it's, it's so fucked up. I can't even describe yeah, how fucked no, up it is. No, you're right. It, it's, it's the pretending to care thing. It's the, um, I, I'm doing this for your own good right? Like- yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I don't know if anyone else right off the top of their head remembers um, the Drew Barrymore Cinderella movie Ever After. I remember like that movie. 1998, I believe. Angelica Houston is a great wicked stepmother because she does the same thing. She's pretending to care the whole it's for your own good. Yep. And she has a very similar vibe. Yeah, that's true. It's so much more insidious than just flat out. I hate you. You suck. Yeah, Shadow Weaver does kind of have that, like, wicked stepmother type of vibe going on. Yeah, because she makes you feel like you could, you could do right by her if you just got it together, and then she would be proud of you. Exactly. With a grand failure under your belt, it would benefit you to show me some respect. Yeah, but Katra is pissed, so she is holding back even less than usual. Yeah, yeah, no, she's fucked up. This kid's fucked up. Newsflash, old lady, if Adora wanted to be here, she'd be here. So Katra is goading Shadow Weaver now with the truth. Because Adora left them both, she's had enough, and maybe Catra will leave too if Shadow Weaver doesn't start treating her with more respect. Oh, snap. Oh, I wish she did. Yeah, I mean, because at this point, Catra kind of feels like, what the fuck does she have to lose? She's being treated shitty no matter what. Adora's gone. Adora left. Maybe she should leave too. You know, Shadow Weaver's obsession with Adora continues to play out. Yes, shockingly, Shadow Weaver does not take this well. She does not. Um, She freaks out. The lights shatter. Yep. She gets even bigger and shadowier. She weaves more shadows. And this is Shadow Weaver's moment of being a threshold guardian. Because she literally says, for your incompetence and insubordination, you will answer to a higher power. And drags her. Yes. She picks up Katra and drags her to the threshold. I also kind of got a wait till your father hears about this kind of vibe. I like You know, that. like, this is like a, a dysfunctional family dynamic. Yep, you wait till your father gets home, then you're going to yeah. be in real trouble. If you make me disturb your father, you're going to regret it. Yep. Man, Shadow Weaver's the worst fucking mom ever. She is. Ugh. She's the fucking worst. No argument. So Shadow Weaver grabs uh, Catra and drags her to her destiny. It is what it is. We go back to the Whispering Woods. Yes. Raz and Adora are still berry picking. Yep. Raz has one of my favorite corny jokes ever, which is, you know, you hear it all the time, which is you're going to have to speak up. I'm worried. I don't have my glasses. <laughs> yeah. I love that that joke. That is very funny. It's a classic. And Adora knows now that she's just fucking around. Yep. And Adora says flat out, I need you to tell me what to do. 
yep, I want to do the right thing, but I don't know what that is. Uh, Adora needs orders. Yeah, she does. She wants explicit instructions point by point. Yep. And also, Adora finally just explicitly verbalizes exactly what is going on for her, which she hasn't done yet. She's left her whole life behind. Yep. She's just looking for answers about who she is and what she's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. As far as she knows, she has nowhere to go right now. The Rebellion hates her. She can't go back to the Horde. She just wants to do the right thing, but she doesn't know what that is. Or she thinks she doesn't know. Because, of course, the whole point of this episode is to just shake away all the clutter so she can have one good moment of clarity. Exactly. Because, of course, she knows what the right thing to do is. Right. You know, she knew when she left the Horde that what the right thing to do was. Exactly. So at the moment she verbalizes these things and consciously begins to wrap her mind around it, they arrive at the ruins of another Horde-destroyed village. Yep. And Raz says, it's the same old story. Wicked people destroy what they cannot control. Yeah, that's not too deep. That's not too deep. But even before Raz says that, um, this was another scene where I was really appreciating both the soundtrack and their use of silence in Mm. heavy moments. You know, they just take it in silently for a moment and they just look at each other. And, you know, in that moment, we have, you know, like the the soundtrack of hopelessness and despair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The soundtrack is so great for like, you know, not necessarily telling us how to feel, but like helping us really feel it. Oh, no, the soundtrack on this, the soundtrack on this is incredible. Yes. And then Adora says, they can't just do this. Well, before we jump to that, I do want to bring up Raz talking about wicked people destroying what they can't yes. control because Raz is magic, right? Raz is the magic of Etheria. In what we're looking at right now, she is absolutely talking about the Horde. But this is also one, a larger theme of the show. We get an understanding of what wicked is. Mm-hmm. Um, the wickedness is not just, you know, it's not just the horde. It's not just people that want the destruction of magic. It is also the people that want to control magic, yeah. the first ones. So we get, you know, an understanding of what control is immediately. And then, you know, Raz is here to set up Adora's journey. Like, that's what she does. Absolutely. So we have Adora being like, well, they can't do this. And Raz kind of gives the exposition of the princesses once protected us. But, you know, they now stay in their castle and the Horde is taking over because no one is protecting us. Yep. And P.S. You're very like my Mara. Brave, loyal, but afraid. Yep. And Adora's like, well, I'm not afraid. And this is a fantastic line. You ran into the woods and asked the first old lady you could find. What you should do. (laughs) Yes. And this is when Raz pushes Adora into the direction of understanding what the honor of Grayskull is. Well, this is the first time Raz really says anything that could be construed as straightforward that Adora can actually use. No one's going to make this easy for you. Stop waiting for someone else to tell you what the right thing to do is. You're a smart girl. What do you think? Yep. And that's a good question because this is kind of going, this is also establishing the, okay, what does Adora want? What does Adora think? What is Adora's motivation from Adora? You know, not what other people think. What does Adora think? Right. Adora thinks this is wrong. Good job, Adora. Pretty straightforward. Good job, Adora. Yes. But again, this is Adora having the big picture brain. Exactly. She's not just going blindly from following the Horde, following the Rebellion. Right. But she still needs to get to the place where she can think for it herself. Yeah. And that's what this is. This is, And this is where Adora embraces what the honor of Grayskull is. The honor of Grayskull is protecting. She is acting as a protector. You know, she's, she's saving Swiftwind. 
She, you know, she saw the damage that the Horde is doing. She is there yeah, to... Yeah, she's saving everybody. She's saving everybody in doing so. She is honoring Grayskull. So that is how she learns what the honor of Grayskull is. That's fair. I guess that's how we learn, too, because we never really had it fully uh, fully clarified for us. Nope, but we, we doodled it out, right? She has yeah. the Sword of Protection. She's, like, embracing the destiny of what the Sword of Protection entails, and that is how you honor fair. Grayskull. Fucking fair as shit, yes. And then... That's when she sees that Swifty's in trouble, and now she can transform because she has to save him. Yep, and then she figures out how to transform. Well, it's still kind of the same as before because like when someone is in trouble it comes pretty easily right but she understands it now because it's contextualized she's literally like this is wrong i can do this because after this you see her be able to transform yes that is also true okay that's totally fair she's able to then call back on what her purpose is and then transform totally fair to honor grayskull totally fair so fighting fighting major ass kicking Raz gets in the way. Oh, no. Raz is like, no, you can't, you you know, I'm going to fuck you up. Razzle Dazzle, which is also from. With a from, broom. Yes. Yeah. Which is yes, also yes. from the original. Yes, yes, yes. She did that. She said that every time she did a spell. Oh, really? Yeah. And then they were always wacky and they never happened. So Shira almost wins, but then because of celebrating a little too soon, she doesn't win. Yep. <laughs> and then Raz throws some of the berries, maybe? Raz motherfucking turns into a ninja. Like, she throws those fucking, like, smoke bombs and gets them the hell out of there. Yeah, I mean, she's, you know, she's magical. She doesn't need to be a ninja. Yeah, but she throws the smoke bombs like a ninja and just is like, ninja away! And then they're back, uh, they're back in the woods. And then Adora wakes up with a concerned Bubby and uh, a concerned Pegacorn. Pegacorn. Looking down at her. Yep. And, you know, she was, Adora was knocked out. So, you know, yep. she came to Raz is like, hey, so I was talking to this uh, Pegacorn. Even though Swiftwin has not shown any evidence just yet that he can talk. Yeah, exactly. And also Horsey's a stupid name. And Swiftwind is his preferred name. Yep. And he wanted me to make sure to tell you that Horsey was a stupid name. Yep. And this is when Adora, you know, Raz checks in. Adora's like, I know what I need to do. Yep. She has had her moment of clarity. If the princesses won't defend Etheria, I will. Yep. And this is, uh, you know, Adora taking the responsibility of everyone else. Yep. So it's not even about Adora right now saying like, oh, I'm going to lead the rebellion. I'm going to help the rebellion. Like she wants to do those things. But primarily she's about like, okay, I'm going to defend Etheria. Yep. That's what I can do. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I need to get back to Bright Moon. Will I ever see you again? You know, the the magical like, you can find me whenever you need me. Just call, you know. Yes. And then as soon as she walks away, she forgets everything that just happened. Yeah, who's that? <laughs> yes. Who is that girl? And this is so adorable. This is so adorable, right? She's like, um, can I get a ride? And then there's like the most adorable little happy lesbian horse girl flying through the skies. Just. Oh, my God. Yes. We are all flying through the clouds on wings of joy. Although, to be fair, I kind of think every child wants to fly through the sky on the back of a winged horse. Absolutely. I don't know if we can claim ownership of this as a gay thing completely. I mean, it's definitely not. I I agree with you, but this also is just the icing on the lesbian horse girl cake. I mean, it's not not gay. Yeah. But, you know. She's riding a fucking rainbow horse. There's nothing straight about that. But I'm just saying all children probably want to fly through the clouds on something. On a rainbow pegacorn. Maybe, you know, 
Maybe not all children are envisioning the rainbow pegacorn. I mean, the gay ones are. Absolutely. Also, I thought it was really nice that Adora, having now recognized Swiftwind's personhood, that even though she hasn't spoken to him, he has spoken to Raz. He has a preferred name. Yep. You know, he's no, he's, he's sentient. Yeah. She asks him for a ride. Yeah. And when she's not sure if he's said yes or no, she says, please. She's not just jumping on his back and being like, go horse. Right. Exactly. So that's nice. Aw, Adora, you're such a sweetheart. Um, And then we go to Bright Moon, where, of course, there's arguing, arguing. Angela is still yelling at Glimmer. Boy, that's been going on a long time. Yeah, this is a lot of fighting. I mean, Glimmer's not even really fighting now. It's just a lot of mom yelling. And then Bo's like sticking out for her and Angela's like, go home, Bo. <laughs> time for mommy daughter talk. I, I love that. She's like, go home. It's yeah. like, where does Bo live, though? Like, that's never made clear. I mean, we know where his dads live, but he doesn't live with them. Right, exactly. So, like, where's home? Does he have, like... I don't know. Anyway. but He's it... probably got his own tent in the in the camp, in the camp part of Bright Moon. Or that could just be, like, Angela being like, you know, get the fuck out of here and go to your room. Yeah. So they're arguing, they're, mom, and then a golden light floods the room. Yes. Golden Shira light. And Angela knows what it is. <laughs> yes. So, first of all, um, I do... I have noticed, like, I think this is the last time we see, like, full-on Avatar Shira, where there's, like, golden light emanating from her with every step she takes. Her eyes are glowing. Like, I think from here on out, when we see Shira in general, like, she just, she's much taller and stronger and she has the hair, but she's not glowing. Yeah, I agree. Until we get Until to- Until we get much later on. Much later on. But yeah, she's not like, she's not Avatar Shira. You're right. Yeah, but right now she's super impressive. She's Avatar Shira. The whole room is like, gasp, gasp, gasp. And she has her awe and her magic and awe musical theme is playing. Mm-hmm. She's got the muscles. Those shoulder muscles are just rippling. Bless. And her beautiful, beautiful hair. Yep. Beautiful flowing. Like motherfucking Valkyrie is showing up again. And so Angela knows the legend of She-Ra. Yes, she certainly does. Um, and this is what I wanted to I wanted to bring up the difference between legend and folklore and religion. Oh, please. So Etheria is a planet that has folklore. Mm-hmm. They have um, magic. They have festivals. These things all seem like the trappings of religion, but they are all based in extremely material elements. Um, we, you know, Ashira is a folklore, but because they like literally see like artifacts that show that, you know, she existed. And I want to kind of pick apart whether or not there is a religion on Etheria. I don't think we've ever seen any signs of religion. I don't either. And so I just grabbed a really quick, like, what is religion, according to Wikipedia? And it's a, so <laughs> okay. a social cultural system of designated behaviors and practices, morals, worldviews, texts, sanctified places, prophecies, ethics, or organizations that relate humanity to supernatural, transcendental, and spiritual elements. However, there is no huh. scholarly consensus over what precisely constitutes a religion. So one thing that we don't see in Etheria is ritual. Etheria is a world where, where uh, the supernatural elements are material. So yes. we, we have magic. Yes, they are magical. I think that Etheria is an agnostic world. And I think when we deal in folklore, we don't deal in a, a 
we don't deal with it in terms of religious stories that have um, moral imperatives. Moral imperatives, yeah. We're not dealing with a religious society. We're dealing yeah. with them as as stories, you know. Yeah, that's fair. That being said, the way that Angela talks about Shira is totally messianic. Absolutely. I know the legend of the warrior, the first one's called Shira. They said she would return to us in the hour of our greatest need to bring balance to Etheria. I never thought she was anything more than a myth. So this is a legend that is told, but there's no there's no ritual surrounding it. Right. So and I think that's that's the thing that kind of separates, you know, legend and folklore. Even though this is an incredibly messianic message. Yes, it is. There's no ritual that constitutes this to be part of a moral framework. Absolutely. You are right about that. I'm going to go, I'm going to say there is no official religion of Etheria. It is essentially an atheistic worldview, which I find very fascinating because it does have the trappings of fantasy and sci-fi. And a lot of fantasy stories do kind of have the, like the tropes of the cult members and the church and all of these things that are come from very well, medieval. Well, and Noel, you know, was raised in the evangelical church. Yes. And there are very, you know, there are very strong parallels moving. Yes, and later on, especially when we get to Horde Prime and Correct. all of his little, you know, primelings, all the little primelings, you know, there's there's very strong elements there. But here, we're certainly not seeing any of that. And also, like, I have to think if they were talking about – this is going to sound ridiculous. If they were talking about a real messiah – not real, but like, you know, if yeah, they were yeah. talking about a religious messiah, yes. I don't think she would use the word myth. Correct. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. That's uh, that's just something I've been thinking about because you don't, you don't really see much of religion on on uh, Etheria. This is the closest thing, and I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. This is the closest thing. This is the closest thing we have, and you're here now in the uniform of a horde soldier. That really ties in for me the idea that. Shira's job as bringing balance to Etheria. Again, it's not about obliterating the bad guys. Right. That's why we have all these wonderful redemption arcs. Right. Exactly. In this, in this show, rather than just saying good triumphs over evil and evil is vanquished. Yes. Um, and again, it's the same with Avatar. Yes. Absolutely. These are both shows that have a very strong understanding of the shadow, which is another Jungian idea. Um, and, you know, it does correspond very much with basic Freudian unconscious. You know, it's like the iceberg. If you imagine your brain as an iceberg, most of your mind is unconscious. It just is. And, you know, you can't just get rid of all your unconscious mind. People think of the shadow material as being all negative. That's not entirely the case. But whatever the case, you know, like my mom used to always say when she was trying to explain this to me as a child, when you point a finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So often when you're really annoyed by something that someone else does, it's something that you don't like about yourself that you haven't made peace with. And then you just perceive it as a character flaw in someone else. Yeah. You know, like, why does she always have to be the center of attention? I.e., like, why can't I be the center of attention sometimes? I like that. Um, and I just, that's one of my favorite things about the show is all the wonderful redemption arcs. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, to say, it, and it's teaching children such a wonderful lesson. It's like, you know, this is not how you solve problems by just vanquishing people who disagree with you. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, making peace and restoring balance and again, like with Avatar, they didn't just wipe out the Fire Nation. What do you think would happen if they did? The Fire Nation would come back and have to wipe everybody out all over again to prove that they can come back stronger. Right. That balance really is bringing everyone together. And it's not 
we won and all the bad guys are dead. Right. So I really love that. Me too. Also, I have an all caps for this. Oh, look, dramatic irony. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And now we have this really epic hero moment where Angela asks Adora if she will pledge to stand with the rebellion against those she once served. Adora drops to one knee, holds her big gay sword over her head. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty dope. Yeah. Angela basically knights her. She says, rise, Shira, princess of power. And then she gets tackled by her friends and everyone is loving and hugging and chanting her name and everything is yes. lovely. Yes. And Adora is crying happy tears, maybe for the first time in her life. Yep. And everything is bright and lovely. And oh, yes. yay. Yes. Adora is loved. Oh, isn't it great that Adora chose to kneel to be transformed and everybody embraced her and her threshold crossing is so full of love. It is wonderful. That was my very last nomination for gayest moment was Adora dropping to one knee in front of the bisexual angel queen with her big genderqueer sword held over her head (laughs) pledging her allegiance that's really good it's pretty gay it's not as gay as Katra beating up their bed but it's pretty gay I mean Katra beating up their bed there's no that's not even like metaphor at that point no of course not that that's like but you know there's no beating that but there's other no. gay things happening that's in this episode really, that's really Clearly. fucking good if Catherine yes, wasn't ripping you. up their shared bed um and you know screaming and crying because she just got dumped then this yeah. would definitely be but meanwhile in the fright zone there is a parallel story happening as there always is with Catra and adora Mm-hmm. So Shadow Weaver throws Catra to the ground and that yells, bitch. "Kneel!" Catra's terrified. Yeah, Catra's terrified going in. Catra has like pure fear. It's not even Catra's not even can't even cover up with the bravado. She's absolutely terrified. Yeah, she can't play it cool at all right now. She is completely freaked. We don't even know if she's ever been brought before Hordak before. Yep, we get the impression that she hasn't been. And she is, you know, unlike Adora, who goes in and pledges fealty, she's thrown to the ground and yelled at to kneel. Yes. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes, well. Well, (laughs) I I shouldn't say that. But, you know, this is non-consensual. When it's, yeah, when it's non-consensual. Yeah. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Um, And then we get to see Lord Hordak. And we first see him also completely in shadow. There's some kind of mechanical thing going on. His body is not entirely organic. Yep. And when we do see him, at first, the only thing we see are his red eyes and his red horde insignia. Yep, his glowing red eyes. And Shadow Weaver, you know, is there to, you know, humiliate, is there to get punishment for Katra. You know, we need to go mm-hmm. find Adora mm-hmm. and Hordak, you know. She's basically tattling on Catra to Big Daddy. She gave her a simple mission to bring back Adora and she failed epically. Yep. And Hordak's like, so wait, that means you don't have a force captain. How about this one who's right in front of you? Yeah. I mean, if she's not good enough, that's your fault, dude. If you fail to condition her correctly, you have no one but yourself to blame. Oh, snap. And now yep. mom's in trouble with dad and Catra's just taking all this in on the floor. Yep. Minding her business, looking down at her feet. Yep. Does she smirks in that moment too? And she's like... She doesn't quite smirk. She like snorts and like holds it in. Because again, like she's just observing. She's being the socially intelligent one that we all know she is. Yep. She's like, wait, is this actually possibly working out in my favor right now? 
<sighs> and you know, of course, Shadow Weaver's like, Catra sucks. Nothing but a disappointment. And Sweet Baby Catra's like, um... Catra's minding her business. She is not getting in the middle of this. So, you know, when Adora pledges fealty, she actually looks at uh, Angela. Catra is staring at the ground. Yes. And then Hordak is the one who decides to knight Catra. Yeah. Rise Force Captain Catra. Yep. You will elect another Force Captain and resume normal operations. So dad is definitely scarier than mom. But yep. for now, he approves of her. He approves of her because it's like, okay, so if these 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 were your two kids and the, the good kid left, well, why don't we just give it to the other one? You raised them both. Yeah. If you fucked up with this one, it's your own fault. Yep. I've made my decision. Rise, force Captain Catra. Catra kind of looks at the badge. It's like, is this really mine? Yeah. And then she smirks. <laughs> yep. We end the episode with a Catra smirk. Uh-huh. Yep. And her her musical theme plays us out, her I'ma make some trouble tonight music theme. Yep, her motherfucking badass musical theme. But it also shows that, you know, okay, so uh, Adora's not there to protect her, as Lonnie said, but Adora's also not there to overshadow her. True. You know, they both embrace their destiny. Or to act as a buffer for her. Or to act as a buffer for her. And this, this is when, you know, we see them both embrace their destinies. Mm -hmm. Katra embraces her destiny as the Force Captain and, you know, moves on her path, you know, with the Horde. And Adora embraces her destiny and moves on her path with the Rebellion. And these are their first steps. You know, yep. the, you know, if their first step was Adora leaving and Catra losing her shit, this is the step of it being official. Yep. Um, and this is when their paths, you know, split. Yeah. Um, in the eyes of everybody else. So we had the emotional split um, in the sword. And now we have the kind of, you know, functional plot. Uh, yes. So they now we really, truly know they shall meet again in battle. They shall meet again in battle. <laughs> this was a big episode. Everybody's pretty tired. But I'm tired. Oh my god, Adora hasn't even slept. Right, N neither one of them has. Neither I one of them has slept. Where's Catra gonna sleep? <laughs> so yeah, that's it. I mean... So now we are fully established in our epic hero quest. Uh-huh. The quest beginneth. Yep, the external quest of Adora beginneth. The internal quest of Catra beginneth. Jenny! Meth! What did we learn today? Ah. Oh. We learned so many good things. We learned that uh, Catra and Adora have some serious journeys to go on, that it's going to be a long time before those journeys are going to meet again. Mm-hmm. And I think we learned that it's time to start gathering some characters. I think we learned that perhaps maybe it might be time to rebuild the Princess Rebellion. Oh, yes, that's good. I think that that may be where we're going next. I think you're right. I think so, too. Well, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us in more gay screaming or try to help us figure out which princess is coming next, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also email us at heyadoracast at gmail.com telling us how cute and smart we are or hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at heyadoracast. I've been making Spotify playlists for each episode. This week's episode playlist, Raz, is available on Spotify right now. You can find the link in our show notes or by visiting our site at heyadora.gay. That's right, it's a dot gay. Jenny, I feel like we win homosexuality by having heyadora.gay. Congratulations us, our trophies are in the mail. Thank you so much for joining us and remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe!